0: Hello, this is Chris from Tennessee, and I'll never listen to I Die I also will never go to hunksinheels.org. that's H-U-N-K-S-I-N-H-E-E-L-S.org, and vote for Chris Waddell for the charity that he is doing where he gets to walk in high heels and embarrass himself so that the money can go to the Women's Crisis Center. But anyway, I never listen to you guys. Have a good day.
1: The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. Alright everybody, thank you for joining us for this episode 326 of your listener produced, listener supported, I doubt it with Dallimore, I am your host, as always, Jesse Dallimore, and sitting across from me, Debbie Downer, Brittany Page.
2: That's aggressive.
1: <laughs> I just can't get over it.
2: Okay, well, we're going to have to tell the story. But first, I would just like to start by defending myself.
1: <laughs> no, no need to defend yourself.
2: Yes, because I had Debbie Downer thoughts, but I withheld them.
1: You shouldn't have shared them with me after the fact.
2: I didn't in the moment share the Debbie Downer thoughts. I just had them. So here's,
1: here's the deal. Brittany and I, uh, we went to the fair with some friends, the Orange County Fair, Mm
2: -hmm. which is a
1: big deal here in Orange County. Apparently. It draws an eclectic crowd from all over Southern California, and uh, it's a typical county fair. In some states, this would be like a state fair, because it's a big, big deal. Yeah. Anyway... There was talk while we were, we took an Uber over there, a Lyft over there, mm-hmm. and upon walking across the parking lot, we were kind of strategizing where we were going to go first, what we were going to do, were there going to be any rides ridden,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: apparently, Brittany Page had lots of, uh... Lots of thoughts mm-hmm. that she didn't share with the group at the time. Not
2: lots of thoughts, just one thought, because people were talking about the different rides and were they going to go on these different rides? Like and this,
1: this, The swing chairs, the chair swings. Well, or no, that they one are.
2: didn't come up. We talked about the zipper, we talked about right. the Ferris wheel. You talk about all these different ones. But while the conversation was going on, I had the thought of the swing ride. And all of those YouTube videos that I've seen of it just fucking snapping and breaking <laughs> and everyone goes flying and, fly, and dies. Yeah,
1: the fly everyone dies. Yeah. What what YouTube are you watching? What
2: what are they? Superheroes, they fly off and they're Basis all just of fine. death
1: YouTube? What yeah. is this? Anyway,
2: so I've seen the videos and <laughs> I I didn't say it. I just had the thought. About the swing ride and the videos I've seen,
1: because again they're traumatic. Yeah, but this isn't the only type of thing where this happens, because you are you know mild germaphobe. Now I wouldn't even say germaphobe, but it's something you think about. Mm-hmm. You're cognizant of. Mm-hmm. So when 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 people walk into a house and they've got their shoes on, mm-hmm. those aren't shoes. Those are bathroom shoes. <laughs>
2: Well, if they've ever been in a public bathroom. Yeah, they've
1: invariably stepped foot in a public bathroom and walked on, you know, the the, the residue of people's urine and Mm -hmm. everything else that goes on in a bathroom. Yeah. And that is what you think of.
2: Yeah, what does this have to do with the swing ride thoughts?
1: (laughs) Debbie fucking Downer, you're... I
2: really don't think I'm Debbie Downer. I think I'm pretty... Okay. Of
1: course you don't. Debbie Downer doesn't think she's a downer. She thinks she's realistic. Listen, I'm only... Debbie realism. I'm
2: only a Debbie Downer to myself because I don't inflict this on other people. I didn't make the swing ride comment. You just
1: constantly walk around.
2: No. No.
1: We can't go on the swing ride because... (laughs) We'll likely snap the chains okay. and fly off into Not the air. Not likely.
2: I'm just saying it's a topic of conversation to talk about the death videos. It's <laughs> it's fine. It's just something to talk about. Something to think about.
1: Yeah. doesn't
2: need to inform decision making.
1: It doesn't? No. So the entire time you're on the swing ride, which we didn't go on, you're clutching the chains for dear life, strategizing how you're going to land and roll to try to save yourself.
2: Listen, i <laughs> i blame I blame a lot of this on my mom because when I was a kid, she was very upfront with the way that the world works. <laughs> Let's just wow.
1: say that. Wow, that is that is a mild way of putting it.
2: And uh, when I was younger, when I would go to the fair with my sisters, my mom made me very afraid of carnival workers. You okay. can call them
1: carnies. I don't think they're like some protected class.
2: And was, she would say that they, you know, are creepy and don't go no, near them. she
1: beat into your head the fear of being molested by carnies or raped by carnies.
2: So the I would go and take my sisters on the rides and they would try <laughs> to touch my sisters, like to put them up on the ride. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's why I'm here. You'd no, you don't touch You keep your hands to yourself, sir. (laughs) I will put my sister on the slide. Thank you. Um, So I blame. I blame her.
1: You prevented their inevitable (laughs) molestation at the hands of a carny while being put into the ride. You never know. The teacups. That's that's where ninety percent of child rapes get uh, get uh, perpetrated in this country. What I'm
2: saying is at
1: the seating. At a carnival ride.
2: What I'm saying is I am a hero. and
1: You you are a hero. you are
2: not recognizing it. And that's fine. Not a Debbie Downer. That's fine, no. A hero. And you don't want to recognize it. That's perfectly fine.
1: (laughs) All right, well, let's somehow, let's find it in ourselves to move on with the program. Let's get to a few voicemails, a couple of voicemails and an email before we move on.
3: Hey Jesse and Britly, this again is Walter from St. Louis. First, I would like to say welcome back, and I hope you two had a great time on your vacation. Besides the farts and the honey buckets, there is so much I want to touch bases on, but it's hard to squeeze under two minutes. So I'm gonna just I'm gonna just say that in episode 325, you guys stated that there weren't any new patrons, but I am. I also called earlier saying that um uh, a while back, maybe a month or so ago, saying that um my funds are a little, you know, tight and strict, which is okay. I, I feel that's how much I believe in you guys and you guys have my full support because I respect your honesty and your funny spin on the current climate in the White House administration. I may not agree with what you two say all the time, but I still respect your point of view while well, sticking to that uh to the I wish you two nothing but the great success. Um, hope this show grows over a million subscribers and um, our Patreons. And I just want to let you know that you both are the best part. God bless.
1: Wow, we love you, Stephen. Thank you very much. What a beautiful voicemail. L- let me say, it is a testament to our audience that they can disagree. Yes. B- saying, I don't agree with everything you guys say, we hear that all the time. I love hearing it. I wish the listeners would push back a little more even
2: mm-hmm.
1: on things they don't agree with. Yeah. In voicemails. Yeah. Because I'm not, I don't mind being disagreed with. We've got an email that's upcoming. We'll read it next where they disagree. And my reaction isn't, ah, fuck you. It's, well, ah, let's talk about this.
2: Yeah. <laughs> wow. What do you mean? <laughs> I I think it's it's natural though. How many people do you talk to where you agree with them about everything?
1: Only myself.
2: And if that happens, you should be suspicious. Yes. uh, Of their motives. Why are they agreeing with you about everything? When I meet people like that, I'm very suspicious. Wait a minute. Why is this person...
1: (laughs) We know some people like that.
2: like agreeing with everything I say. They can't genuinely feel like that, right?
1: What it says to me is when they're not with you and they're with someone else, they're agreeing with them on everything, too.
2: So it's good when people push back. Yes. And... And remain a part of your life because that's yeah. that's rare too especially on the internet or in these these medium forums where you just cut someone off or disregard them because they have a different opinion and it's it's good that this is kind of an exercise in learning how to hear people listen sure yeah and talk about things
1: even when you disagree well i mean look some people do need to be cut the fuck off
2: yeah that's but,
1: fine but but not just because they disagree Yes. If they're just a consummate asshole, then yeah, yeah, it's good to go. Right. You know.
2: But if someone's helping you grow intellectually or challenge your own ideas or um, help you further your understanding sure. of why it is you believe something or why something is true, I think that that's, that's good.
1: Well, even if you serve a role in their life where you're doing that for them. Yeah. Th- that's also a very positive thing. Yeah. Because if you can flip somebody to be more rational then they'll go through their life helping to flip other people.
2: And for all of my Debbie Downer-isms, <laughs> I am positive in that way, where I genuinely believe that that is possible. And I think a lot of people don't, but it but it really is. You, you can change people, and you can influence people in that way. <laughs> what a dick.
1: <laughs> the more you know, everybody. <laughs> sponsored by Brittany Payne.
2: Oh, that was great.
1: So, let's let's move on to the speaking of this great. First of all, thank you for the voicemail and for being our, our one of our latest Patreon supporters, Stephen. We we love and appreciate you very much and thank you for your both your loyalty and dedication to the to the show through listening, but also obviously monetarily. It's it's uh beautiful. Yeah, it means a lot
2: and we hope we get a million listeners
1: too. Well, that would be super great. <laughs>
2: Thank you for that wish.
1: <laughs> Tell somebody. Fingers crossed, yeah. So let's let's move on to the email in which I was disagreed with.
2: This is from Angela in Washington. Just listen to Heart number
1: of the Confederacy. Washington State.
2: Just listen to number 325, and something came up that I keep hearing around. You were discussing the asshole of the day and how she's proud of her Confederate ancestors. I agree that they don't need to be celebrated, and I understand that things related to the Civil War are hurtful to many people. The thing I keep hearing that bothers me is the assertion that the Civil War was, quote, about slavery. Slavery was one of the big issues that contributed to the war, but it was far from the only reason for it. I think it's important not to oversimplify things in history because it makes it harder to learn lessons from it. I know that you weren't having an in-depth discussion, so I understand you may have just said this without too much thought. (laughs) I just wanted to write you guys because I have heard this from a few outlets with the recent discussion of Confederate monuments, and it's a pet peeve of mine. Also, you two are far more accessible than my local NPR station, where I also heard this oversimplification. Thank you for making such a great show. And Jesse is the best part because of the way he says, Goddamn.
1: Goddamn. Well, listen, I um, hate to burst your bubble, but, well, one, I, I obviously, I, I do have a nuanced view of it. I don't think it was the only reason. I don't think I said that it was the only reason for the Civil War, but it is the main reason. And any, even if you take the tack that it is a, it was mainly based on economics, because of the agrarian nature of the economy in the South, that's still slavery. Because they needed cheap labor, a.k.a. free labor, to pick their cotton and pick their tobacco and and, do the work that is agricultural in nature. And to do that, they owned human beings. So when able to protect that facet of their economic strength, they needed to protect the the ability to own human beings. So it was about slavery, mainly about slavery. Clearly, there were other issues. Uh, they felt alienated. The North was doing things they weren't, and they were more of a, an industrial... I'm not going to get into all of it. I do understand all that. And my my opinion still is that the main issue, not the only, but the main issue was about slavery. Even if you talk about the 10th Amendment and that it was a states' rights issue, that state right was about whether or not you could own goddamn people.
2: Well, I'm wondering if Angela is saying this because she wants to somewhat defend people who hold on to these ideas of their history and want to defend it, but don't want to be labeled slavery defenders. Sure. And... I understand that. However, I think that people that defend the Confederacy are being disingenuous when they say that it wasn't at all about slavery or try to distance themselves from the slavery part of it.
1: Right. And I, we're not saying that you're that, Angela, because you didn't in any way defend the Confederacy.
2: Right. But people who do. Yeah, and
1: there are, many are. When there they are many. When they
2: try to put distance between themselves... And the slavery defense, that seems disingenuous because we all know the reality of what happened and how important the role of slavery was in the Civil War. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, listen, there there is nuance to it. And I don't, look, it's easy. It's my default position to kind of be a dick about things. What? It is kind of, it's my claim to fame, everybody.
3: Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But so, so I understand, and I don't demonize people who are proud of their Southern heritage. It's, it, it would be kind of a bummer for someone to live in Georgia or South Carolina, you know, Mississippi, and not say, yeah, I'm proud of where I'm from. But the problem is when you're proud of where you're from, and where you're from is so steeped in that culture and that history, there's a weird divide that happens. And, uh, it's easy to say, yeah, well, that's shitty. You're shitty for thinking that. I don't necessarily think that, but yeah, it's complex. It's complex. But anyway, to your point, Angela, um, I still do believe it was the main reason slavery, and that's shitty. That's ownership of human beings, where they were t- mistreated, they were they were abused, they were tortured, they were raped, they were murdered. Uh, it was it's a scourge, a black mark in our history, and to the point of the southern monuments, they should be removed. From the public space, they should not be upkept by public dollars. They should be put uh, in a museum where we can think about it from a historical context, not move from public life altogether, but certainly not in the public square where people who are ancestors of those who were murdered, raped, victimized, have to walk by them and have their tax dollars upkeep them. So that's another topic for another day, though. Anyway, thanks for the for the email. We appreciate it very much, Angela, um, as all of our, our listeners who communicate. Let's move on to Joshua from the aforementioned South Carolina.
0: Hey, Jesse and Brittany. This is Joshua from South Carolina. I uh, wanted to call and weigh in on the South Carolina governor candidate that you had spoken about, Catherine Templeton. Um, so I live very close to Pickens, and that area is really no different from mine. Uh, I would really like to briefly describe these people for those people who aren't familiar with eh, southern states, South Carolina in general. Um, <clears throat> for the most part, they're apolitical um, and extremely uninformed. Shocking, I know. What's uh, weird is that they're proud of being uninformed, like genuinely proud, but then in conversation, they'll also be a perfect display of Dunning-Kruger, oddly enough. Um, their views... Pretty much, they're only based on what their parents taught them, what their church tells them, or their personal identifiers, typically being white, southern, and nominally Christian. You know, Christian in name only, oftentimes. They don't need to hear anything besides what correlates to those identities. Otherwise, it doesn't really make a difference. What really worries me about my state and about other conservative southern states is how insular they are. People have little or no interest in learning and trying new things or meeting new people. I'm terrified that these willfully ignorant people and their children and grandchildren keep my faith locked in this pattern. And who knows for how long. Another concern is that they, who may not feel this way, and uh, other progressives, are pretty much inactive. They don't engage, they don't attempt to educate, and they often don't vote. A lot of non-voters here. But few progressives there are, they either quickly move away, who can blame them, or are stuck sitting here, just spinning their wheels in the mud, I don't know how to change this, but it really concerns me and I would really appreciate your input. Thanks guys. Love the show.
1: Well, that's a tough spot. I mean, you're you sound exasperated. It's it's interesting to me that you sound like you're one of the imagine this. You just talked about people leaving the state. The, the few progressives that are there, many leave the state and then you say, "Well, Can you blame them, though? And you're speaking as though I would imagine they would have spoken prior to leaving the state, which is an easy move. I mean, it's not easy in your life, in in the scope of your life, you know, uprooting and moving the fuck on. But it seems to me to be an easy choice that I'm going to get out of here because I'm surrounded by people who are sometimes violently opposed to my particular political persuasion or opinion. Good times, but I, I find it interesting though. It it is kind of the, the I've I've encountered many of those people who are proud of their ignorance, mm-hmm. proud of not being no the book learning. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They, they they take their they think they have street smarts. Oftentimes they don't even have that. But formal education is has been demonized by the right for a long time. Um. It's kind of like these people when you look on their Facebook profile and the, their school is listed as the school of hard knocks. Yeah. That always, it tickles me, Brittany.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same people that criticize elitism. And, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know a lot of stuff because you read it in books. <laughs> Where where else do you learn things?
1: <laughs> right. I, I, so anyway, I, as far as your question of what to do, look if you're if you're committed to staying in South Carolina and the South there, then you're going to have to maybe get active and have your part of your 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 energies focused on changing hearts and minds, and along with that, it's going to come the disappointment of having your your rate of effectiveness be not that great mm-hmm. because you are battling ignorance you are battling people who are i wouldn't even say closed minded it's that their minds are they're not they're not in a position to even want to weigh any evidence i guess that is what closed minded is yeah i, I don't know it, it's very very difficult but maybe it's time to to make that decision make that call uproot Come to the liberal bastion of of California or up in Massachusetts or something.
2: No, I I would say the approach to take is the opposite of how Jesse answered your question, which is laughing at people who have the school of hard knocks on their profile and all that, which it's hard. It's difficult. Yeah. But in order to get these people to listen... They have to respect you and trust you and and believe that you're not mocking them or think that they're dumb. And they might start to appreciate that when they're respected, right? Um, even though they can be disrespectful toward people who have education and education in general. Um, I have people on my friends list that are like this and...
1: You're a goddamn saint with how you deal with it. So you're really the better person to answer Joshua's question because I'm...
2: Well, no, 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 no. I'm a saint visibly in the comments on Facebook. Well,
1: that's what it takes.
2: Like 90% of the time. they don't
1: know that you turn around and call him an asshole.
2: Yeah, but I'm very (laughs) angry while I'm typing the comment.
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) And that's okay, too. And
1: you go through several drafts before you hit the enter button.
2: And that's okay. I mean, it's time consuming, but it's okay. (laughs) Uh... But I think the most positive aspect of this is that there's a willingness and attempts made. Because if we just give up and whatever, people are just gonna be who they are, let's move on. That's that's not good. We need to keep trying, keep interacting, keep talking. Where's the more you know? Oh. <laughs> uh, all right, there we go.
1: Anyway, uh, we hope that helps. I-, I don't know how helpful that was, but sometimes it's just good to vent. So it's, uh, it's a bummer. I lived in the South for many years, and it was a very frustrating experience for me. And that's before I was even where I am now. This is when I was a conservative Republican, still a Christian even. Yeah. And it was very frustrating for me even then.
2: Well, it reminds me of one of our Patreon supporters, Todd, in Arkansas. hmm and he's my Facebook friend and I will see him post political posts and he is the odd man out. He has several people arguing yeah. against him and he's the only one really pushing back. And that's that's a tough well, position you, to be in.
1: Get in there and lend a hand then.
2: Yeah. He told me that I can do that now. So now I know <laughs> and that's what I will do.
1: All right. Thanks, everybody, for the emails and the voicemails and generally communicating with the show. We love you guys. We appreciate you. You guys are the best. If you, too, out there would like to sound off and communicate with the show, ask a question, make a comment, 657-464-7609, that number should be in your speed dial. So anytime something's going down, you can just call us up. 657-464-7609. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to it at You guys are awesome.
0: Support for I Doubt It with dolamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you
4: by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward. One podcast at a time.
1: If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com/slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Sheena. Sheena. Katie, Katie. Katie.
2: And Sean.
1: Sean. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Listen, if Patreon or PayPal, th- if those aren't your flavors and you'd like to support the show and get something back like a t-shirt or a mug or a tote bag, go to dollamore.info and you can see the array of different products from the You're the Puppet shirt to the Classy Laid shirt uh, or just a logoed t-shirt or hoodie or tote yeah. or mug.
2: I I actually, I want to talk about this really quick because we got some questions. So the way Teespring works is it works in quote-unquote campaigns, okay? And the campaigns last, I think, for four days. Yeah, every four days. And so someone went to buy one, and it said, hurry, order now. You have four hours left in this campaign. And they were confused. Like, what does this mean? What's happening? These products are going to go away. No, they're not going to go away. What happens is they kind of cycle through the orders. So everyone who ordered on this first campaign that ended yesterday, now they're going to ship out those products and the campaign has restarted. So you have four days to order. And then once that four day period closes, then they print the materials and ship them out. That's right. So that's what that is. It's not going to go away. You don't have like this last chance. You better get it in only two more hours. Um, So just for everyone's information.
1: We like information on this program. Yeah. Brittany Page. Mm -hmm. All right. Stalemocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So Donald Trump is on vacation for 17 days. He started his first leg of his vacation in New Jersey at one of his golf courses, of course. One of his golf courses. He claimed uh, via Twitter or whatever that I'm out here working, taking meetings, doing my thing. And then, of course, the evidence on Instagram starts flooding in of people taking pictures of him in a goddamn golf cart.
2: Yeah. So he tweeted working in Bedminster, New Jersey. As long planned construction is being done at the White House this is not a vacation meetings and calls
1: right 17 days while golfing on his on his Trump golf property
2: yeah but <laughs> There was this Instagram photo that had like eight likes on it.
1: Yeah, really, very obscure. Just
2: a random person. And they posted a photo of him in his golf cart. And then there's been other photos taken where he surprised a wedding party yeah. on the golf course. In
1: his, you know, Donald Trump white polo. Yep. Khakis. Red giving hat. Giving a fucking thumbs up with his goddamn red hat on. Yeah,
2: and taking pictures with people. So, <laughs> not doing a very good job of keeping up the whole not vacation thing. Well,
1: let's 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 revisit some of the things he said from this supercut of all the times he not all, but a few of the times he talked about never going on vacation, how much Obama golfed because at this point Donald Trump has doubled the amount of vacation days days away from the White House in non-White House like, you know, not foreign trips. Donald Trump is doubling Barack Obama.
5: Obama, it was reported today, played 250 rounds of golf. Everything's executive order because he doesn't have enough time because he's playing so much golf. Obama ought to get off the golf course and get down there. I'm going to be working for you. I'm not going to have time to go play golf. He played more golf last year than Tiger Woods. This guy plays more golf than people on the PGA Tour. I love golf. I think it's one of the greats, but I don't have time. But if I were in the White House, I don't think I'd ever see Turnberry again. I don't think I'd ever see Doral again. But I'm not going to be playing much golf, believe me. If I win this, I'm not going to be playing much golf. I wouldn't leave the White House very much because, you know, like little things like these little trips where they get on, they cost you a fortune. I love working. I'm not a vacation guy. I don't take vacations. I'm not like Obama where he takes Air Force One to Hawaii. I don't take vacations. I promise you, I will not be taking very long vacations if I take them at all. There's no time for vacation. Other people, they go away for weeks and weeks. I don't like taking vacations. Obama likes relaxing and going on vacations. Me, I like working. I like working, I really do. If I get elected president, I'm gonna be in the White House a lot. I'm not
1: leaving. We have deals to make. Who the hell wants to leave? So here's, here's the deal. I'm not complaining about a president going on vacation. I never complained about George W. Bush going on vacation. I never complained about Obama going on vacation. And I'm not complaining or saying that Donald Trump doesn't need or deserve a vacation. This is about the hypocrisy. Look, I don't even think that it's fair to criticize Obama or another president that when there's a military action going on and they decide to go golfing, that doesn't mean they don't give a fuck about the troops. That doesn't mean that they don't care about the dangers and the loss of life or the seriousness of the military effort. You can do two things at once. The, The military effort doesn't cease to exist or its importance, cease to exist because they're swinging a golf club. Right. They're not picking up a rifle and manning a post. They're the commander-in-chief.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm not bitching about Trump taking the vacation. It's the previous minute and 17 seconds that you just heard of him rambling on, maligning Obama for golfing, and then he golfs every fucking weekend.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Every weekend, almost, he spends away from the White House on one of his Trump branded properties. yeah, which, by the way, benefits him immensely because of the because of all of the new memberships that he is being rewarded by, of all kinds of super wealthy people who, many, probably not all, but many, are buying access to his clubs. For the possible benefit of being close to the president of the United States.
2: Right. It's also because people people do say, oh, why are you criticizing him for taking vacations? That's really not it. And I wish people would stop saying that because it's actually good that yeah. the president takes a break. For sure. And has some downtime because burnout. They're just like anybody else. They're doing a lot of serious things. They have a lot of stress. It's right. a serious and, job.
1: And they have the weight of the world. On their shoulders.
2: Yeah, so it's important that they take a break. But like you said, it is the hypocrisy of his previous statements and how he would rile up these crowds with these talking points on this. Issue. And now you have conservatives who were angry about Barack Obama uh, taking vacation. Wouldn't shut the fuck golf. up about it. Now they have no problem with Donald Trump doing that. And that's that's very frustrating and <laughs> Listening to people like Tommy Laren defend Donald Trump on this issue, yeah. when you know that she felt the opposite about Barack Obama, it's just, it's maddening.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of maddening and speaking of hypocrisy, Kellyanne Conway took the air this weekend to defend the lies that were told about the Russia investigation by the Trump administration and by Trump's own lawyer relative to the meeting at Trump Tower with Don Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort, and the slew of Russians and Russian supporters. I don't know that I'm going to play this entire clip, but goddamn, it is, that woman, it is maddening
6: that under oath that may have been overtaken uh, by events now and we'll see whether the special counsel is indeed looking at obstruction including of the president Doubtful. part of the reason as you know that this story has persisted is because the White House and the president's surrogates have told conflicting stories first they said no contacts with Russia and then it turned out there were at least 18 contacts the story broke in the in the New York Times saying the president was involved in the drafting of his son, Don Jr.'s misleading response to that meeting he had with Russians during the campaign. And Jay Sekulow, the president's attorney, came on and told me this, saying the president was not involved.
1: The president didn't sign off on, on anything. The president wasn't involved in that. Well, so the
6: New York Times says that he was involved in it, that several people on the plane were involved in it as well. So you're just, you're disputing- That's That account from the New York Times. Yes. But just this week when the Washington Post reported with more detail that the president was indeed involved in the drafting, Sarah Sanders, the press secretary, conceded it. Let's listen.
7: The president weighed in as any father would based on the limited information that he had. Uh, This is all discussion, frankly, of no consequence.
6: Two very different answers in the space of two weeks there, Kellyanne.
8: The most important thing that press secretary Sarah Sanders said there, which is completely true, is that there's no consequence to any of these meetings.
1: Okay, I'm going to stop it there, and we're going to refute that right there on its face, because that's fucking bullshit, that there was no consequence to those meetings. It doesn't matter. They took the meetings with the understanding that there was a Russian government lawyer who was going to provide dirt on Hillary Clinton from the Russian government. That was the reason given for the meeting. And that reason given was accepted, and they took the meeting. It doesn't matter that they didn't get. You know, who, let's put it like this: Ted Lieu at Politicon had the best explanation. I've used an explanation of a man cheating on his wife. Mm-hmm. His explanation was even better. He says, "Listen, if you if you're in an email um, conversation with someone, yeah, and you say." And, and someone emails you and say, hey, listen, I have cocaine that I'm going to sell you. Yeah. And you email back and you say, I love it. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Let's set a meeting time to meet so I can get this cocaine from you. Yeah. And then you meet with them and they, instead of cocaine, they have baking powder mm-hmm. and you take that baking powder. Even if you don't take the baking powder, you've, you've met to get the cocaine That is a crime. Yeah. And that is what happened here, except instead of cocaine, they were looking for information on Hillary Clinton provided by a foreign adversary. All of that is criminal. Their intent is what matters here. Not necessarily that they came through on what they, that they actually got what they were looking for.
2: Well, and it's not like, uh, that's a great example because that is how things work in law enforcement. I mean, that's what vice detectives do. Yes. They they chat with somebody or they pose as a prostitute and all it takes is you taking the meeting of a prostitute. That is
1: perfect right there. Yeah. You show up, hey, I want to get my winky wet with a prostitute. Oh, And then you don't get to say, oh, well, I actually didn't have sex with them. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Right. That's awesome. Anyway, they continue. I don't know how much longer I'm going to let this clip go because it drives me goddamn... It's so grating. Listen to this liar.
8: The president weighed in as a father. He did not dictate the statement. But first,
6: the White House and the president's lawyers said he wasn't involved at all. They didn't tell the truth.
8: George, you know, I know there's this whole thing about... Where uh, everybody wants to take about this. About telling the truth. You know, let's talk about. Let's no. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about telling the truth. Let's talk about a president looking Americans in the eye who are still suffering eight years later, who were lied to. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Benghazi happened because of a video. Go tell the families of those. So, you're simply changing the subject God, right that here. That that is, hold on a second. No, no, you're that isn't a subject. subject. Let's talk going about credibility to
6: And Hillary Clinton, right there, I said directly <laughs> different, lies. directly different responses within two weeks. How do you explain that? Can the George, president and his team get control of that and be open and truthful about the Russia investigation?
8: George, the president has said the entire investigation is fabricated, that this is a conclusion in search of evidence. They've come up with nothing. We've been doing this for almost about a year now. And what is there to show for it? What, what what has actually metastasized in a way that we can say, wow, there's a smoking gun, silver bullet. I spent a lot of time with you during the campaign as a campaign manager on your two programs, and, and others did with ABC as well. What, what one thing did we ever say do or conspire that had anything to do with Russia
1: when I needed how about hey Russia if you're listening I would love it if you would get Hillary Clinton's missing emails and I'm sure you'd be richly rewarded how about that just because it wasn't said specifically on an ABC program with George Stepanopoulos doesn't mean that it wasn't said you fucking idiot
8: negative information about Hillary Clinton, I took a moment and I listened to Hillary Clinton. I mean, we went to Michigan, him, not but wait Moscow, a second. We, know we went, right went to now, Mecklenburg- We know
6: now what has come up in just the last few weeks is that Don Jr. responded to an email saying that he was going to get Russian government information on Hillary Clinton. That was not out during the campaign. That was revealed just in the last several weeks. Right. but. What
8: came of that meeting? Nothing. Jared Kushner shared with the House and Senate committees and then with all of us in a public statement at the White House about 10 days ago, George, that he had texted an aide and said, please get me out of this meeting. It's a waste of time. If you're getting dirt on your political opponent, if you're getting the silver bullet and the secret sauce on how to win the election, you don't ask your aide to pull you out of the meeting. You say, please order lunch. Let's just stay a while. There's nothing. It was nonsense. It was a ridiculous meeting. It was nothing. People wanted to. People." Wanted offer their services and have meetings all of the time. Believe me, I know you know this. But let's look at the consequence. No follow-up, no results, line, no relatability. I was never informed of that meeting. I found out about it when you found out about it, when the rest of the public did the president the president had no knowledge of that meeting.
6: Bottom line, Kellyanne. Yes. Does the President commit to not firing Robert Mueller?
8: The president has not even discussed that. The, the president is not discussing firing Bob Mueller. But will he commit not complying to fire? We and cooperating with, he, he has not even discussed, not fire, he's not discussed firing Bob Mueller. That's not and what And in I'm fact, asking. Ty Cobb, well, well, hold on, I'm not the president's lawyer here, but I will tell you as his counselor, he is not discussing that. He, You have to listen to his special counsel, Ty Cobb, who works in the White House now, and has said very clearly, George, this week that we will continue to cooperate. With Bob Mueller and his investigation, even though know, he just hired the 16th person. Many of them are Democratic donors, but we'll continue to cooperate and comply. And Ty Cobb
2: said something. So something that really yeah. bothers me is how no one counters that line that nothing came of the meeting with that doesn't matter. Yeah. The point is what was said in the emails and that he went to the meeting hoping that that would be the outcome of yeah. the meeting. So it doesn't matter. And I wish that they Also, would we say, don't
1: know that they didn't get anything. Yeah,
2: we don't know if that's true. They lie all the time. So I just don't understand why no one ever says, well, that doesn't matter. That should be the direct response to her talking point there. And I don't think I've ever heard someone... Say that. Yeah. I mean, I know their jobs are difficult, but they have time to prepare to say that because they know that it's going to come out of
1: her mouth. The other thing that I wish would be said, and this might not be their job, is when they say there's no evidence. Well, we're in the middle of an investigation. Right. We don't know what evidence Bob Mueller has because he's doing his job well and it is quiet. He's doing it methodically and legally. So he's not leaking. He doesn't have leaks coming out of his team. They are being very professional about what they're doing. So when the evidence drops, it's going to drop and it's going to be big.
2: Also, I'm sure if Hillary Clinton was president, Kellyanne Conway would be very irritated by how long this investigation is taking. When is it going to (laughs) end? She's been under investigation for so long and they've found nothing. (laughs) When are they going to stop? Yeah. I'm sure that would be the approach.
1: Ugh. God damn! So obviously we're going to keep following this. This is the, every single week I am.
2: <laughs> You're very dejected now after having watched or listened to. Yeah, Conway. she
1: drives me goddamn crazy. I, I just it is weird that I'm still able to be. We talked about this the other day and you were you put a positive spin on it. That I'm still able to be surprised at the shit that goes down. I'm still. Something doesn't happen, and we're really like, "Oh yeah, that that sounds about right." I'm still like, "Wow, holy shit! I can't believe this shit is happening." And what was the spin you put on it?
2: Yeah, so I took a break from my Debbie Downer ness. And <laughs> the fact that we are surprised and the fact that something happens and we feel outraged, that means that we are not complacent. Yeah, yeah, that that this isn't just business as usual, that we still have the sense that something's not right.
1: I'm not super cynical yet,
2: yeah. and that and that there <laughs> still is a motivation to change things. There's still a motivation to have these discussions. And why am I giving so many pep talks today? This is too many pep talks for one episode. Yeah. Why are you putting me in this position again?
1: So speaking of pep talks and speaking of of outrage, Jim Acosta, who's a reporter from CNN, who I think does a good goddamn job, got in an argument last week with Stephen Miller. Now, we didn't get time for it because where I put it in the program, it, it came late and we went long and it got cut, like often things do. But the Trump administration is putting forward immigration policy that would favor English speakers. It would favor the educated. It would depart from generations of immigration policy here in the United States. Ultimately what it is, it's a Stephen Miller concoction, it's a Steve Bannon concoction to favor white people. It is an ethnic orientation to our immigration policy which is racism let's let's fucking call a spade a spade here and talk about it as what it is here is and now this clip is very long so i'm probably going to cut it short but here is an interaction between jim acosta in the white house press briefing room speaking and asking questions of stephen miller who is an arrogant little fuck and acted aggressively and unprofessionally when questioned about what is should be legitimate policy questions and concerns he turns into an asshole
9: proposing or what the president is proposing here does not sound like it's in keeping with american tradition when it comes to immigration the Statue of liberty says give me your tired your poor your huddled masses yearning to breathe free it doesn't say anything about speaking english or being able to uh be a computer programmer uh aren't you trying to change what it means to be an immigrant coming into this country if if you're telling them uh you have to speak english uh can't people learn how to speak english when they get here
4: well first First of all, right now, it's a requirement that to be naturalized, you have to speak English. So the notion that speaking English wouldn't be a part of our immigration system.
1: I'm going to stop it there. We're going to fact check right away. That is not the fact. It is not a requirement to speak English to be naturalized. It is not. It is on the website of the government. He's a liar. That is untrue. Would be
4: actually very ahistorical. Secondly, I don't want to get off into a whole thing about history here, but the Statue of Liberty is a symbol of liberty enlightening the world. It's a symbol of American liberty lighting the world. The poem that you're referring to, that was added later, is not actually part of the original Statue of Liberty. But more fundamentally, the so history. Saying, so they, saying, but more fundamentally, you're saying the that history that does not represent. I'm saying that. I'm saying that the notion. Of I'm saying the notion of the. I'm saying
9: the notion. Stephen, Stephen I'm sorry. No, you're, you're, like Jim, like, like, Let me ask you a question. That sounds like. Some, uh, national park revisionism. No. The what I'm mean, asking you is, Statue of Liberty <laughs> Jim, has always Jim, been let me ask union you a question of hope to the world Jim, for people to say, Jim. Do you believe people to this country, Jim, and they're not always going to speak Jim, English, Stephen? Jim, they're not do you always going to be highly skilled. They're not always Jim, going to be. Jim, Jim, Jim. I, I appreciate your identified. speech, Jim. I appreciate your speech. So let's let's talk about was this.
4: A, was Jim, let's talk about this. In 1970, when we let in 300,000 people a year, was that violating or not violating the Statue of Liberty law of the land?
1: So now he goes into this thing where he's calling the Statue of Liberty law of the land, mm-hmm. which is just being a dick. Yeah. Jim Acosta is not asserting that the poem on the pedestal on which the Statue of Liberty stands is the law of the land. Right. About giving me your your tired, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. Mm-hmm. He, that's not the law of the land he's just being an arrogant little dick
2: yeah because Jim Acosta is talking about the spirit of immigration in this country and is what they're proposing in step with what the spirit of immigration right. in this country has always been
1: right which is we we have people come here whether they're impoverished or not but they make us they, they strive they get jobs they they assimilate to the best of, the, of their ch- choosing. They do well for themselves sometimes. They're supported by public assistance for a short period. And then that second generation excels. There's an explosion of success. And that is typically held in that second generation. Jim Acosta comes from Cuban immigrants. And he sits here in the White House press briefing room. That says something about what we as a country do for immigrants giving them a step up and better station in life than they clearly had otherwise they wouldn't have left from where they came in 19 in the 1990s
4: when it was half a million a year was it violating or not violating the Statue of liberty law of the land
5: was
9: it violating when it was 700,000 year no tell me, what years, tell me what years tell me
4: what years tell me what years meet tell me what years meet Jim Acosta's definition of the Statue of Liberty poem law of the land so you're saying a million a year is the Statue of Liberty number. 900,000 violates it, 800,000 violates it. You, you're sort of bringing a Jim. press
9: one for English philosophy here to Jim. immigration, and that's never for been Jim. what the United States has been about. You that that you're, mean, but you're also, your, your statement's also shockingly
4: ahistorical ah- in another respect, too. which is If you look at the history of immigration, it's actually ebbed and flowed. We've had periods of very large waves, followed by periods of less immigration and more immigration. And during we're, the... We're a you've period had, of immigration right now. The yeah, president wants to build a wall. want to about
9: a sweeping Change Surely, Jim,
4: you don't actually think that a wall affects green card policy. You couldn't possibly believe that, do you? Actually the notion that you actually think immigration is at a historic law, the foreign born population of the United States How today with the- Jim.
2: How many times is he going to say that Jim Acosta said something that he didn't say? There's at least three times yeah. in that very short clip that you just played where he accuses Jim Acosta of saying something that he didn't say. Yeah. Well, Jim Acosta. strawmanning
1: straw manning hi- in the highest degree.
2: Jim Acosta made no mention of specific numbers. He didn't talk at all about the wall related to green cards. There, uh, he keeps saying, you said this.
1: Yeah. Defend it. When when Jim Acosta brought up the wall, he's talking about the general spirit of the Trump administration toward immigrants, both both uh, undocumented and documented. Right. There is a, a general dampening of encouraging people to come to this country.
2: Yeah. And note these tactics, because this is what people do when they can't defend themselves or their position. They start lashing out, which is what he's doing. He's starting to get louder. He's starting to sound hostile yeah. and angry. And he keeps accusing his opponent of saying things that he did not say.
1: There are clips of him on CNN get yelling and getting aggressive, doing this exact same thing because his arguments do not hold up. He also doesn't allow Jim Acosta to speak. While Jim is, is talking, he's Jim, 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 Jim. Jim, on Monday talking talking about how border crossings work, Do you really I, mean, I want to be
4: serious Jim, do you really at CNN not know the difference oh. between green card policy and illegal immigration?
9: Right? I mean, are why, you really why don't why know that Cuban immigrant he came to this country in 1962 right before the Cuban Missile Crisis and obtained a green card? <laughs> yes, people who immigrate. Okay, so, this country so Jim, eventually people who so Jim, immigrate to the country question, through, Jim, not through El Jim Island, as a factual Jim band, as a factual but question do it, obtain a green card at some point. They do it through a lot of hard work, and yes, they may learn English as a second language later on in life. So, but, but this Jim, whole this whole notion of well, they could learn. You know, they have to learn English before they get to the United States. Are we just going to bring in people from Great Britain and Australia? Jim, it's actually,
4: I have to honestly say, I am shocked at your statement that you think that only people from Great Britain and Australia would know English. It's actually it reveals your cosmopolitan. Uh, bias to a shocking degree that in your mind no this is an amazing this is an amazing moment this is an amazing moment that you think only people from great britain or australia would speak english is so
1: insulting it's also not what jim acosta said he didn't say only people from australia and great britain speak english he was generally asking are you wanting a j- immigration um policy that's only going to accept English speakers from blah blah blah. Right. It was an in passing moment. It's not a specific thing where he says only people from these countries speak English. Right. Again, straw manning. To millions of hard working immigrants who do speak
4: English from all over the world. Jim, have you honestly, Jim, have you honestly never met a, an immigrant from another country who speaks English outside of Great Britain and Australia is that your personal experience?
9: Of course, there are people who come. But that's this not what you and said, and
4: it shows it shows your cosmopolitan bias. And I just want to say, like you're trying to
9: engineer the I racial say, and ethnic flow of people into this country. Yeah, is that is one of
4: the most outrageous, insulting, ignorant, and foolish things you've ever said. And for you, that's still a really
1: the, the notion that you think. I'm going to stop it there, and that was an insult. By Stephen Miller to Jim Acosta. That was the most ignorant and stupid thing you've ever said. And for you, that's blah, 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 blah. Let's get into who Stephen Miller is, first of all. 31 years old, from Santa Monica, California. Ran for student government in high school, which wasn't too long ago. Because he's only 30 years old. 31 years old. He was such a reviled character. Hateful character who railed against quote-unquote multiculturalism while in high school, complained and bitched about Spanish speakers in high school, that his high school, someone put together a documentary, a a short, like, seven-minute thing about what an asshole he was. He came to fame appearing on Larry Elder's radio show all the time, bitching about his high school. He then went on to Duke University where he teamed up with Richard Spencer, the racist face punched Richard Spencer.
2: Right. I actually want to pause there because I think that that paints a good uh, picture of him. And he used the word cosmopolitan there at the end.
1: Yeah. A couple times. That's
2: kind of a dog whistle for the racist community. Yeah. Um, Calling Jim Acosta cosmopolitan, that was a word that was used to identify and single out groups of people who um, hadn't appropriately assimilated. Oh. Um, so based on how they look, speak, or live. And it is an elitist term. It's calling someone an elitist, but it also refers to this lack of proper assimilation within a culture. Hmm. And uh, for both fascist and communist regimes in the 20th century, Jews were the biggest cosmopolitan offenders. So if you look up the history of this term (laughs) and then you look at Stephen Miller's past and his connections to people like Richard Spencer, you see that even though he was like that when he was younger... He still shows signs of continuing those connections and problematic views,
1: which is weird because Stephen Miller is a Jew, just a self-loathing, weird. Listen, it is not out of bounds to say that he has racist leanings. He has white supremacist beliefs. He traffics in this this corridor. He uses their code words. That's a problem. Well, here's a Washington Post produced very short video about Stephen Miller and his high school days and kind of leading to what we have now as a senior White House domestic policy advisor. Hi,
7: I'm Stephen Miller. Some of you may or may not know who I am. Stephen Miller is a 31-year-old policy aide to Donald Trump. Let's
6: get the White House response now from senior policy advisor Stephen Miller. You might remember seeing him on the campaign trail as a warm-up back for Trump. Now the young aide is right at the heart of White House policymaking, greeted this morning by dueling profiles in the New York Times and the Washington Post.
7: After our story appeared, we were contacted by a high school classmate of Stephen Miller who sent us a copy of a video that had been made about him by his classmates. The video was kind of like a documentary about Miller and the role he had played as an outspoken conservative at his high school.
1: Hi, I'm Stephen Miller. Some of you may or may not know who I am. We don't have time to get into that
7: right now. He was running for student government, so this was his speech. I'm
4: the only candidate up here who really stands out.
7: It's important to note that we don't have the whole speech. We called uh, Santa Monica, the school district, and asked if they still had a copy of it. They said they have been looking for it, but they can't find it. So all we've got are these couple of short clips that have been included in this video that his classmates had made about him.
1: I will say and
4: I will do things that no one else in their right mind would say or do.
7: You can sort of see that he's enjoying riling up the crowd. He's got a smile on his face at various points in time. Uh, But he makes this comment, and what he says is...
1: Am
0: I the only one
1: who is sick and tired of being told to pick up my trash?
4: And we have plenty of janitors
0: who are paid Uh, He's just joking. It's a a joke.
7: It may well be that this is a a joke, and I think we can sort of understand a high school joke shouldn't be the standard that you're judged by for the rest of your career. I do think, however, in sort of the tone and and in that moment, you can learn something about Miller. Uh, He was someone who uh, enjoyed riling up a crowd, and he has used that as sort of a political strategy throughout his career of activism.
4: We have a situation in America right now where our campuses are overrun with these dangerous radicals. Hillary Clinton's got some issues. Well, she's a criminal for one, and that's tough. And and maybe she'll end up going to jail. But the powers of the president to protect our country are very substantial and will not be questioned. He
7: attended a very liberal high school in California. It was a moment that set him on the path uh, that led him to Duke, and then eventually to Capitol Hill, and now to the White House. I'm not sure there would be a Stephen Miller without this liberal California community where he grew up.
2: So, I think some people might say, "Well, that was him in high school." But the thing is,
1: if he had changed, I would say that was, oh yeah, that was him in high school. Yeah, he's no fucking different.
2: Yeah, the trajectory has been a continuous ascent to, um. It's the word I'm looking for. I don't want to be too just not good. holishness? Yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> I'm failing right now, but you get what I mean. I I I wouldn't say, oh, let's play this video of someone in high school if they were completely different. Yeah. Also,
1: he graduated high school in 2003.
2: Yeah, it's... It's not
1: like a long time ago.
2: Well, listen, I was very dumb
1: when yeah. I was in high school. Yeah.
2: And I said very dumb things right. that I'm horrified look, you're
1: about. You're proving my point. Is If I was to look at video of you acting like an asshole in high school, yeah. I would say, but look at her now. That's high school. Everybody's a dickhole in high school. I was a big dickhole in high school. Yeah. But I'm different because I matured. I mm-hmm. grew. Yeah. I got smarter. I read a book or two. Yeah. Stephen Miller, he's clearly read a book or two, but it's the wrong fucking books because while at Duke, teaming up with uh, Richard Spencer, the Nazi, yeah. doing anti-immigration and targeting students who were undocumented immigrants to a dangerous degree, encouraging them to be harassed and hassled and bullied. That's a problem, and that's the same fucking guy he was in high school.
2: Yeah, and teaming up with Richard Spencer and being passionate about immigration, let's not ignore what that means. He might not say it, but this is a white genocide guy. Yeah. This is someone who believes that white genocide is real and happening, and for those that are unaware, white genocide is the belief that through assimilation, through immigration, through interracial relationships that whites are a dying breed, white people. Yeah. So they want to prevent quote unquote white genocide. And when you hear these little buzzwords about immigration and speaking English and coming from certain countries and the overwhelming integration and assimilation, these are all buzzwords that white supremacists use uh, when they're not as bold as Richard Spencer.
1: Yeah. And he is the chief domestic policy advisor for this administration. Stephen Miller. Yes. And wanna, he's looking to be made the communications director.
2: Yeah. After this exchange, which was ridiculous and April Ryan, another popular reporter that's typically in the press room.
1: I believe she works for our Urban Radio Network and then also for CNN as yeah, a commentator. She
2: said that, that he brought things to a new low. Or something like that. No, that's
1: exactly what she tweeted.
2: And Sarah Huckabee Sanders walked to the podium after Stephen Miller was done and made little jokes about how that was exciting and ha ha ha. No, it's not exciting. And there should be a level of decorum that's expected in this situation. And Stephen Miller is far too radical. They just had the mooch. They want to have another problematic character in that role.
1: Right, just because he's not talking about Steve Bannon sucking his own cock doesn't mean it's unprofessional uh behavior that doesn't rise to the level of being at the podium in the white house press briefing room
2: yeah we don't want things to be exciting like a reality show
1: uh, we, exactly what it is we want
2: people to behave in a normal professional manner and interact with someone in a way that it just how humans interact
1: yeah, it's disgusting Ah, <laughs> uh, it's exasperating Brittany. All right. We're going to end there. We're going to move on with uh, taking care of business. But, uh, but what, 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 the story that I keep pushing and we're going to have to push it again is this Trump real news network that they're putting together, at least the broadcast. Um, his daughter, daughter-in-law. Yep. Laura Trump. Laura Trump was the host. But now they've hired Kayla McEnany. We're going to skip this story. Kaylee. <laughs> until Kaylee. Kaylee McEnany. Uh, We're going to skip it until hashtag third episode because we're doing that again this week. But for now, let's wrap.
8: Taking care
2: of biz. Five teenage girls from Kenya are taking care of biz. Nice. Because they created an app called iCut. And it provides girls with easy access to legal and medical assistance before and after female genital mutilation.
1: Before and after. So possibly as a deterrent. Yes. And then also after as a support mechanism if they have it done to them.
2: Yeah. So through this app, girls who are being forced to undergo the procedure can alert authorities with a distress call. Oh. And survivors can also report their violations to local authorities and find local rescue centers where they can get help, all with the touch of a button from within the app.
1: That is awesome.
2: The app's interface has five different buttons, help, rescue, report, information on FGM, and donate and feedback. So that those are the only buttons within the app.
1: It's great. Yeah. That is taking care of biz.
2: So the app earned them a place in the 2017 Technovation Challenge, a competition taking place in Silicon Valley later this month that helps girls around the world become tech entrepreneurs. And they are the only African team whose app was accepted in this year's challenge, which is sponsored by Google, Verizon, and United Nations. Winners will receive $15,000 to help them continue the app's Development. Wow! And they said that their goal, really, their mission. They call themselves the Restorers, hmm. and they say it's their mission to restore hope to hopeless girls.
1: Awesome! I, look, I, this is one of those cases where technology really can interface to make a difference. I mean, it's not a you know a, a hookup app. This is really going to be used to if it prevents one girl. From having her genitals mutilated in a brutal ceremony, then it is worth the $15,000
2: Right. Th- that
1: hopefully they win.
2: Yeah, and this could be a great resource. Uh, the girls that undergo female genital mutilation have a lot of health risks, both physical yeah. and psychological. They're less likely to finish school. Their employment prospects decrease significantly uh, because of the correlation between female genital mutilation and early marriage and pregnancy. Yeah. And it can even lead to death. So this is, this is serious.
1: Well, they don't even have to win. I think just, just the notoriety that they've gained hopefully will, will bolster the, the money that they're receiving to put toward development of the app and furthering their cause. That's awesome. Yeah. For sure. Taking care of biz. All right. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. We'll find the information specifically for the donation and put it in the show notes. So I would uh, encourage everybody. You got five, six bucks. Look, five, six dollars goes a long way in Kenya. Far more than it does here. So let's uh, let's support this. this. Is what a what an awesome, awesome app. Let's also end the show. What do you say? Yes. Hashtag third episode this week. So look for a Wednesday and a Friday show. We love. You guys, thank you for joining us twice a week or three times a week or as often as you do. Look, if you like the three times a week and you want it to happen, we are moving closer and closer toward our goal uh, on Patreon of doing a regular third episode. So if you're on the fence about supporting the show, helping produce the show, we would love to have you make the move. Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon or dollamore.com slash PayPal. We'd love to have you as a supporter, as a producer. Also, if you've not yet rated or reviewed the show on iTunes, we would love to have you amidst the, the 150 or 200 or whatever, how many reviews we have. It helps get us in front of new audience members, and that is what we're trying to do is grow the show Help move the conversation forward. If you'd like to sound off, communicate with the show, ask us a question, 657 464 7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dolomore.com. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dolomore, and this has been I Doubt It.
2: <laughs> what a dick. <laughs>